Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Would you pray with me just for a moment? Father, we praise you that your presence is here. And I praise you for each life assembled and their obedience to you. Praise you that you are faithful. But Lord, I I thank you for answered prayer and giving me a love for those here many of whom I've never met. But Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus and for your glory's sake that you speak and that you equip. Mentor each of us. I pray that you will plant seed that will remain. And Father, I ask that when our time is through, that we leave in all of you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 30 years ago I was sitting in chapel services like you only in Texas and grew up in a home where when I surrendered to the ministry at age 13, my dad who had been pastoring for over 20 years, immediately became my mentor. He told me everything in the ministry that he was going through, whether it was great or even if it stunk. So when I went to seminary, honestly, I romanticized and glamorized being released. Just let me be released and get in on this. And so uh, it was my second full-time church. It was a church my dad pastored when I was three weeks old till I turned five. And I returned, became a pastor at age 29. My first Sunday there, a lady took me by the hand and said, oh, I can't believe I changed the diaper of my pastor. For which I told her that's our secret. (laughs) Yet that was a church that brought me to spiritual bankruptcy. Having surrendered at age 13, watching my dad, being mentored by him, knowing all the heartaches, it wasn't the same as feeling them firsthand. And I found myself praying a prayer I never thought I ever would. On the way home one afternoon, I was praying, Father, if you can give me a job that would take care of the finances for my family, I'm out of here. And apparently he, he didn't do that for I'm still in the ministry. 
My heart aches for you because of the world you are embracing. My heart aches for you because of the reality of the pain you will endure. My heart hopes for you that you'll be able to stand strong in what the Father has ordained for you. For me, one of the things that has kept me going through these years and the heartaches have continued, as well as the victories, is prayer. I sincerely feel that's the reason Christ gave us the model prayer. In Luke's account of the Lord's prayer, it was an answer to his disciples' request, Lord, teach us to pray. It wasn't, Lord, teach us your giftedness with apologetics or that skill you have in witnessing, teaching. Those, old, those are important, don't get me wrong. But they were in awe of the way he prayed. So he gave them the model. The model was never intended to be something we just recite mindlessly and think, I did a good thing. Honestly, when you start looking at this, Christ has given us what I'm calling today a, a, a prayer to pray for survival in following the Father's lead. So let's just break it apart and I want you to be able to see how this model is vital for your survival in ministry and in fulfilling the call the Father's put on your life. It's in Matthew chapter six. I like this account and I'll share with you why in a little bit. And many of you are familiar with it. The opening tells you to start your prayer not with your stuff. Because my nature, when you're overwhelmed and overloaded, when you're asked to fulfill demands beyond your experiences, or to resolve issues that are outside or beyond the resources you have, you immediately want to say, Father, help, so I need to go to my stuff. He said, don't start with the stuff. Picture who you're addressing before you ever begin. So it begins, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The very first word is important, our, not my. You start understanding he is not my glorified concierge. Okay? And he's not all about me. It's our Father. Everywhere at the same time, brothers and sisters throughout the world are calling upon him as well. He is involved in their lives, hearing their prayers, engaged in their activity and in yours as a father. The beautiful thing about it when he says, pray our father. In Mark's account of the gospel, Jesus talks about God several times, around 50. But only three times does he call him father. And it's in the intimate gathering of his 12 who will be able to understand what he means when he says father. However, when you go to John's account of Jesus' conversation, and remember that John's gospel account really unpacks the stories and the dialogues more than any of the three gospels. John, who was a part of that intimate three and intimate 12, knew what he was talking about when he said, Father, and you hear it constantly. Talking about the Father's care. And, and some of you will go at the Father and his care from one of two directions. Some of you struggle with it because your earthly dad didn't show you that care, so it's hard to translate it to the father. My dad was that way. His dad was an angry alcoholic that divorced uh, dad's mom when, when dad was five. Anytime he re-entered, it was not a good experience. 
So for my dad to even come to know the father at age 19, he had to picture a father who cared for him unlike his dad. And when my brother and I were born, he just tried to create the the father figure he wished he'd always had and that he saw in his heavenly father so that today, when I talk about my father in heaven, I have a springboard from the care of my dad on earth. So, So I don't know which direction you're coming at this, but I want you to know the father is faithful in his care. Trust him. And you're... Heavenly Father has clout because the prayer says our Father in heaven. So when you and I are praying, do you understand we're having an intimate dialogue with our Father in heaven? We, we don't picture that because we're not in heaven to, to see his presence there. But just for a moment, imagine, and, and, and in your mind, you've got two or three things right now that are bigger than you. You can't resolve them. Decisions you're having a hard time making or seeing. Whatever those huge things are in your mind, just imagine writing them down on a piece of paper and rolling it up, putting it in your hand as if you could make a hand delivery of your request to the Father in heaven. Here's what you would do if you could do that. And this is according to Revelation 21 and its description of heaven. You would approach heaven and you'll notice immediately that the, the walls around it are 20 stories tall and made of jasper. They last forever, supported by 12 foundations, each made of precious gems. Each wall has three gates. Each gate is cut from a single pearl. And when you walk walk through an opened pearl gate, you turn around and see that it never shuts. We lock all our doors and windows because we are fearful of intruders. None in heaven, only those who surrender to Christ on earth. And the king secures it. So you walk on transparent streets of gold beside facilities of transparent gold and when the greatness of God reflects off this, you know there will never be night there, only day. And verse four says there's the absence of familiar sounds such as weeping, mourning, crying, and pain. But according to Revelations chapter four and five, the worship is amazing. The singing. And nobody's arguing over it. And you look at this blown away by the kingdom under the reign of God. And now you look at what you had written out and realize there is nothing you can ask that he cannot do. In perspective to his clout, but also his character. We memorized it many times as uh, hallowed be thy name. It's the verb form of the noun holy. That's the reason Holman's translation I like. Your name be honored as holy. Your character, holy. Perspective, holy. And you never change. With this in mind, I just want to bring this out. There's an old Roman legend about an emperor who had been victorious in battle. He comes riding back in with his troops down Main Street. The great fanfare is there. His family is sitting in the royal box witnessing all this. His young son, the future emperor, bolts out through the crowd and is stopped by a legionary who's holding back the crowds. Legionary looks at the lad and says, boy, where are you going? You can't run out to the emperor. Don't you know who that is? The boy says, well, the man in the chariot may be your emperor. But he's my dad. And he tells me I get to run to him anytime at all. 
You see this now, why Christ said, don't just start with the stuff because you're already consumed with it. Start with a picture of the Father. All that he is, all that he has, and all that his character is. And we're not even gonna get to our stuff yet because now he says, and when you get there, you'll be so overwhelmed by what he wants. So you start focusing on his kingdom come. When you start to pray his kingdom come, George Buttrick writes that this is a prayer of a major operation, and it's true, because it's an operation in three waves. The way the word kingdom is used in the New Testament is one of three ways, and it talks about not territory that you see on a map, but it talks about sovereignty, a reign. And in Luke chapter 17, Jesus Christ talks about the kingdom of God is within you. This is not an Oprah moment, you understand. He's talking about when you and I surrender our life to Jesus Christ, the surrender to him is as Lord of our lives. So we are saying to him, every aspect of my life where I once had my flag raised, it is coming down and your flag is going up. I made that surrender at age six, but I have to constantly evaluate, does he still have reign over every aspect of my life? Because day in and day out, there are territories coming up and down. I have to evaluate that. And also, he talks about the kingdom of God coming through you. In Luke chapter 13, he says, the kingdom of God is like the mustard seed that grows and the birds of the air will nest within it. This talks about how the kingdom of God in your life, reigning in you, then becomes the vehicle by others can, can hear the gospel and have the opportunity to surrender and, and Christ reign in them. Just an honest confession from last week. You can be so faithful serving the details of ministry that you miss out on the opportunities to minister and be dry. The church that made me want to leave the ministry, there's finally a day where I, I was again at spiritual bankruptcy, but the father allowed a young man to come to the office with spiritual questions. It was the sweetest thing. We sat most of the afternoon having a spiritual dialogue and me just guiding him as the spirit was drawing him and praying with him as he surrendered to Christ. And my tank was filled up. A few weeks ago, I'm saying, Father, it has been too long since I just had the joy of having that type of conversation. And a man walks up to the church. And this is after an event. I just hung out with him for a while, speaking the gospel to him. And it was amazing. Be praying about those that the Father has in your path who need to hear the gospel and that you never walk away from the opportunity. Thy kingdom come in me, through me, because the third way his kingdom is coming is to us. First Thessalonians chapter four talks about the return of Christ, which now gives us the urgency to do this, as though time is short. Do you understand? I still don't know all that that means, but I can just tell you from my journey. In 2006, I was on an operating table. They were removing cancer from my nose. I was under anesthesia. And 
Holy Spirit spoke through me to the team saying, time is short, many must come, along with other things that were happening in their lives that I didn't know. I was never one of those prophecy people who would watch a pot drop in Jerusalem and think that's another sign. So for me to say time is short and many must come, it has grabbed me ever since. Jesus said it in John chapter four, verse nine, we must do the work of him who sends us while it is still day. Night is coming when no man can work. Therefore, we've got to do whatever is best to reach the most as fast as possible in ways that honor God. Thy kingdom come. And thy will be done. Do it your way. Volumes have been written about discerning and knowing and doing the will of God. How do we wrestle with that? In my journey, I look for the Father's consistency. You know what is before you. You know the unresolved things. You know the desires. You know the conflicts. You know the needs. Seek the Father with those as you read scripture and you will watch him embolden a verse as you do. When you pray specifically, you see answers that come specifically. And then you seek godly counsel. For me, when, when you hear the consistency of the same message from scripture, from specific prayers and godly counsel, you have God's will before you. In the specifics. But there's also the grand you have the Lord's Prayer here. In John chapter 17, you have Jesus Christ praying out his prayer on the eve before his crucifixion. Don't you think the one who modeled this would also live it out when he prayed? So when you look at John chapter 17, you'll find the model prayer in his prayer. And when he prays, thy will be done, it begins with verse one, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Eight times in his prayer in John 17, it's about the glory of God whether it's in Hebrew or whether it's in Greek, my general definition of it is greatness of God. Look at your prayers. How much of the prayers is about, Lord, I, I want this to be done so that I can be seen as a good leader. Or I, I can be seen as a, a godly follower. Honestly, I have to check my own heart to make certain that it's not about me, even in the, the requests I'm making, that truly it is about the greatness of God. I had a young ministry student talk with me months ago, just saying, I just really sense God wants to do something significant with my life. And I told him, you let God define what significant means. Because so easily we will let others define it. And it'll be by their scope, their numbers, their matrix not the Father's. Thy will be done. When you look at his prayer, there are multiple things he's praying. The other is for protection. Hear me on this. Do not shy away from praying for your spiritual protection. We'll talk about Satan and temptation in a little bit, but he is the roaring lion and he will go after your mind. I'm learning this more and more. Make certain that you're pouring scripture into yourself. Ephesians 6 talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
It's the only offensive weapon that you're given in the armor of God. Do you understand the, the word that's used there for word of God is not logos, the person of Christ or the printed word, it is rhema. So, so now you have the word poured into you and when those attacks come, you speak truth to cut away the lies. I have an older gentleman in our church who went to World War II one of the reasons I'm telling you this is you've got to protect your life and your family life and your church family life because what Satan does is he creates the wedges that get you out of step with him and out of stride with each other and particularly out of stride as a body with Christ. In World War II, this gentleman said that when he and the other troops would cross a bridge, they were ordered not to march in cadence because the power of their single step would crush the structure of the bridge. Pray for protection, renewing your mind, getting God's eyes and perspective on the moment and on each other so that your stride is with him. And if everybody is striding with him, then your one stride is powerful. Pray for protection to fulfill his will for his kingdom. And now let's get to our stuff. So give us this day our daily bread. Love this because there's so much of it I never really grasped before. The word give is an imperative command. It's almost a carpe diem moment. Give us today. Give me today. Too often we go in the day already wounded as victims instead of realizing we have the opportunity by the spirit of Christ and the presence of Christ to be victorious in the day. I'm not trying to tell you that every day is a Friday. but I am telling you we shouldn't go into the day already as if we're defeated. Give us today. My dad was discovered with cancer. The exploratory surgery revealed it. They sewed him up. Recovering from it, he was delusional with morphine. And it was hard to get him to calm down. And particularly my dad was always so lucid and clear and it was a hard night, one of the hardest nights my dad ever had. The only way I could keep him calm was to say, Dad, let's pray. And that's when I saw the victor mentality in heart. He said, let's do it. He would take my hand and he would say, God, show us what you want and let us take the lead. Let us take the lead. It was the victor. Give us this day. The Greek word used there for day. Years ago, scholars felt that the only place it was found in all of Greek writings was right here in the Lord's Prayer. Until several decades ago, they found an old papyrus where it was on a woman's shopping list where she said, I need this today. Today. Hear me, please. I mean this as lovingly and I'm pouring it out with sincerity. So often we get worried about next week, next month, the things that could be that are dealing with the unknowns down the road. That we miss the opportunity for the kingdom today within a 24-hour window. Give me what I need today. It affected me dramatically when I began to know on my list, this is the, the appointments that I have, these are the, the meetings that I have, these are the people that I will see. I know the day, you know your day. 
Why not stop and pray over every aspect you know of the day and then do what Bertha Smith did? The great missionary to China years ago held on to 2 Corinthians 9 that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that at all times and all things, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. You may have your day mapped out, but God has the perfect itinerary. And there will be things on your day that you never knew were coming in. And by that verse and that promise, you pray it up front, Lord, thank you that you will give me the things needed for the things only you know will be coming. And when they happen, you rest in them instead of get panicked over them. This day, our daily bread. And now it gets hard. Relationships. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, when you recite the Lord's Prayer with everybody else, this is the part in the Lord's Prayer where everybody gets quiet and just kind of mumbles it through because you don't know if everybody's gonna say trespasses or debts. Uh, I, I like debts, let me tell you why. There are five Greek words for sin in the New Testament. One means simply to miss the bullseye, to miss the mark. Uh, three others deal with uh, a line that God has drawn. One means God has drawn the line and though you didn't intend to, your emotions got the best of you and you slid across. The second means God drew the line and your, your emotions were tense, tied, or are you already just premeditated, but you knew the line was there, but you, you said, I, I, I'm sorry, it's who I am, I'm gonna do it anyway. You step across. That's the trespasses in Luke's account. The third is uh, almost an arrogance regarding sin that the, the person says, I don't believe there's a God, don't care there is a God, or I don't care about his line, I'll do what I want. The last word for sin is this word for debts. It means it doesn't matter whether you didn't mean to, plan to, you intentionally did, you're arrogant, it doesn't matter. You sinned. You owe God. So owing God, you confess. I love 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confess is a combination of two terms that means to say the same. You're finally in agreement with God. God's already known you crossed the line. But now you're coming back at it saying, you're right. And you're not being general. God, forgive me of all my sins, those that I've committed, those that I didn't know I committed, where we're not taking responsibility. This is the serious confession time. Several years ago, four or five, I was having my stillness with the Father on a Saturday morning. I knew that my life was getting distant. You know what that's like. You've been there since that. I knew there was gonna be a deep cleaning coming and I didn't know when or how, I just knew it was needed. And five days into a fast, the Father just consumed me with my sin. And I knew I didn't need to ignore this. I, I went to get paper and write out everything he started bringing to mind. When there was the lull, I said, God, is that it? And he said, oh no, we'd start again. About two and a half hours into it, I had three pages of 
single space confession, specific. Things I thought that I had dealt with and they were gone, they're still there. I knew that if I didn't share this with somebody, I could say, okay, God, and then go back with my old ways. So I, I called Lori, she was upstairs, sat down with her and just read to her everything the Father revealed. And graciously she prayed for me. I'm telling you, you cannot fulfill the Father's will. You cannot be a part of his kingdom work if you're carrying the baggage of unconfessed sin. That's the reason the word and in the verses precede 12 and 13, right before 11, give us this day. You can't do all of this without the confession. And not just the right relationship with the Father, but with others as well. And this is the hard one. When you go into Matthew 6, and you get into uh, the later verses where it talks about your forgiveness, the Father tells you that he will forgive you to the same amount and manner that you forgive others. Boy, that's sobering, because so many times you and I hear it, well, I may forgive, but I won't. You don't want to say it out loud, do you? <laughs> I may forgive, but I won't forget. Do you really want the Father saying that to you? So, I know this to be true. The Father is all-powerful. His character is forever holy. So his forgetting is immediate. I have to work at it. Others have to work at it. But in obedience, we do. So that we can fulfill his will, expand his kingdom for his glory. We're running out of time. Let me just cover this quickly. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The word one is not in the original language. It's just deliver us from the evil. And the article the before evil, I, I love this, because one is, is accurate because it's the ultimate evil, which means Satan, so he's the evil one. But the reason I, I love it without one is because it's not just the individual. When you talk about the evil, it's the evil intent of the evil one. It's the uh, evil instruments of the evil one and all that's involved. You have surrendered to God Almighty to be a part of a kingdom venture. Satan is called the opposer, the adversary. Don't you think that in every act of obedience you will not be attacked and lured with temptation? So what do you do? You do what Jesus did in the Eve prayer before his crucifixion. I mentioned it earlier, but in Matthew 26, he went back to his disciples and said, Watch and pray that you fall not into temptation. The watch is an immediate one-time command. Watch, keep, but when he talks about prayer, it's an ongoing act. You watch, but then you keep on praying that you fall not into temptation. It is easier to fall into temptation when you have stopped your communication with the Father and life is kind of like a secret to him when it's really not. You keep having the dialogue. I finish with this. The cancer they found in my dad ultimately uh, uh, was what God used to call him home. 
Again, since I was 13, Dad was my mentor. Even when moving to Richmond, Dad said, call me every Wednesday at 4.30. Let me hear what's going on. I'll pray with you. So I knew I wasn't going to have any more of those days with him. We uh, set up a hospice bed at the house. And uh, the last conversation I had with Dad before the cancer and morphine took his mind, I just began to unload, trying to get as much nugget of wisdom from him as I could. After a, a homily of stuff, Dad never opened his eyes. He simply said this, Son, just remember, you only have one job, and that's to be faithful. Our family has always been faithful. That's your one job. And to be candid with you, I, I find it impossible to be faithful without having the constant communication with the Father the way he talks with his word and what Christ has showed us in his model prayer covering all aspects. I love you, I really do, and I am sorry for the hardship and the challenge and the pain that comes that will surprise, that will threaten your very surrender. But I'm telling you, the Father is faithful. Therefore, be faithful with him in prayer. Father, we praise you, O Lord and Lord Jesus. Thank you for modeling this for us. Thank you that uh, we never get a busy signal from you when we call. Thank you, Father, that you love us enough to confront us and to care. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.